I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is the Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from a sailor's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing culture and life, past, present, and future. Let me introduce our host, a lifelong sailor who has traveled the world, from mug yachts to tugboats to iceboats, and a published author who has written for both stage and screen, Captain Scott Todson. Hey, how you doing, Todd? Uh, it's blowing stink out here today. Um, we have a lot of uh, wind advisories. Um, we have a little bit of uh, high pressure setting in. It's high as to about 80 degrees today, but we have really high winds on the along Malibu coast and in Santa Monica Bay, and um, we're talking 40, 50 mile an hour winds. So a little rough sailing today. Little, uh, little woolly. I am enjoying the nicer weather. At least uh, it seems like spring is here. Uh, it seems like a good time to go out and uh, get on the boat. And I want to give a shout out to David, who said he found our podcast on Pandora. And he said that uh, your stories and life experiences are truly inspiring to me and have been bringing joy to my recent work days. Thank you. So thank you, David, for your kind comments and to everyone who has been listening. Um, I also understand that we have some new items in our offshore ship's locker, which if you don't know is our online curated store. If you go to offshoreshipslocker.com, you can find a selection of items that are curated. So what do we have up there in the ship's locker this week? Uh, this week I've got a couple of spring um, Healy Hansen uh, spring jackets, which actually make for you know, um, good spring sailing weather and, um, also some women's, uh, bathing suits, uh, which is always important. Um, and of course we have our standard logo, um, hats and t-shirts and, and sweatshirts and all the rest of that kind of nonsense. So, uh, yeah, take a look, uh, buy something, support the podcast. We appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. So, what do we have in store for today's episode? Well, today's episode is called um, Liquid Management. And sailors know a lot about liquid management. We have to keep uh, um, liquid on out outside of the boat. We have liquid inside the boat. We're always moving liquid from inside the boat to outside of the boat. We have water coming in from the outside into the boat and we have different ways of using it and sending it around and this is a story about how all those wonderful liquid management systems including the ones that people are getting as far as the metaphor which is the liquid management you have to practice when you're sitting on a bar stool in a sailor's bar which you will find in any port in the world okay great take it away scott Liquid management. So one thing I know about us sailors is we are very, very good with liquid management. I'll tell you a little bit of a story. I was coming back across the Atlantic from Turkey, across the Mediterranean, and I was 
going to Antigua in the Caribbean. I'd done this trip at this point probably 14, 15 times. And I pretty much knew what I had to do. So I did a couple of different things to prepare for the voyage. I would buy uh, gallon water jugs, you know, the milk carton, milk jugs um, filled with fresh water. Uh, I would buy about 40 of them and I'd stick them all over the boat and I would give my crew uh, a couple of bottles and say, hey, here's, this is for your trip. This is your fresh water. This is what you can drink. This is what you can um, brush your teeth with. And, you know, whatever, because we have a system on a boat, especially for long cruises, which is to, uh, I got a bucket and a line and you toss the bucket over, you scoop up some water from the ocean, pour it on top of yourself, get wet, soap up, wash all the important parts, throw the bucket back in the ocean reel it back in, rinse yourself off, and then after all the soap is gone and all you have on you is some salt water, can you use the deck shower, which has fresh water in it, to rinse your hair and to wash those little private parts that don't do well when just left to the devices of salt water. And that's how you shower. And you can shave like that too if you want. Sit on the aft deck. We don't care. So that's how you do it. That's how you manage your water. Now, I, on my boat, I, I had 900 gallons of water. I had probably 100, 120 bottles of wine, liquor, I mean, you know, from tequila to brandy, Cavassier, um, vodka, every kind of vodka you could think about, um, every kind of rum that is possible to buy, all sorts of different uh, mixers, uh, waters, um, Cokes, beers. Um, I had this big, giant 12-volt, um, six-foot-long two and a half feet deep, about two feet wide, uh, uh, 12 volt cooler that I could love, that I just put all my soft drinks and beer in and threw a bunch of bags of ice in there. And it, that son of a gun would, that, that would stay for weeks. And, you know, once it melted, it melted, but what the hell, you know, you could still get pretty, pretty fresh uh, beer and, and, and Coke or whatever the case may be. So there's never anything lacking in terms of, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I've got two gallons of water and I need to drink more or whatever, of course. But I had 900 gallons of water and that's how we rolled. And that's just part of the liquid management. That's the fresh water. There's fresh water, there's gray water, there's black water. There's exhaust water. As sailors, we spend a lot of time. We, we, we have water in the boat that we want to put out. We have water from the outside of the boat that we want to put in. Then there's water from the outside of the boat that we don't want in. And if it comes in, then we have another system to get the water out. 
So all these systems have the liquid management concept to them. But I know a lot of you sailors are also thinking uh, liquid management. You're thinking about Peters and Horta. Sweet little bar. The Absinthe Bar, which I've mentioned before in Antibes. Great place. Great drinks. Foxy's. Always great for some rum. And there's tons of others, like the old Ramada in um, Charlotte Amalie. It used to have a little bar in the back. There was a bar that was on the um, on stilts that sat out um, next to the fuel dock. And um, I don't know whatever became of it, but uh, that was... You know, the fresh breeze blown through that bar. Uh, happy hour drinks were a buck. And and a basket of, of uh, chicken wings, barbecue chicken wings uh, for a buck and a half. I mean, you could sit and have, you know, a couple of drinks and dinner and just break a fiver. But your companions are all sailors. They all come in off their boats, anchored out there. Lots of good shit going on. Lots of great stories, people telling, you know, bold-faced lies. Lots of good, good, good times. Now, not like a, like a land bar, I always say. You know, land bars are, you know, a bit stuffy at times. And, you know, you have to be uh, very conscious of your liquid management. So I'm telling this story about traveling from Turkey to Antigua. This is, I left a little early. I had the crew. Crew was ready to roll. And um, I had just broken up with this Italian girl who still haunts my memories, to be honest. Gorgeous, gorgeous Italian girl. Simple in a nice way. And it's very smart in another way. And so I decided, okay, let's go. So we left a little bit early and crossed the Med. And um, we had great wind. It was getting a little dicey. We had a little bit of a dicey uh, experience getting getting out of the f- Greece. Um, you know, it's it can blow in Greece pretty hard sometimes and pretty sustained for a long time. But, you know, we got out of that and got some smooth sailing, got through Gibraltar. I um, actually picked up a guest who was going to sail across the Atlantic with us in Gibraltar. And I decided that I'd like to go see the Cape Verde Islands. I hadn't I hadn't seen those. I had never been there. And I had gone down to the Canaries. I hit the Canaries. And then I kind of, I would go south, southwest you know, until I got down to about 18 degrees, 15, 18, 15 is, is where Antigua lies as you cross um, over the Atlantic. So, you know, getting into the trade winds around 18, 15, 18, right in there, um, good stuff. And I'd come out of the Azores and do that. But I hadn't seen the Cape Verde Islands, and I just thought, all right, bucket list time, let's go for it. So that's what we did. We went down the Cape Verde Islands and just, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up on a chart. It's where all the hurricanes start for America um, and the Caribbean. Um, this is where all the stuff comes off of, of the deserts in Africa. 
and um, they build over the Verdes, um, mostly as low pressures, little low pressures, and then they, they pick up steam and they pick up heat. They become more serious as they cross on the trades till they get to the Caribbean, and the Caribbean's just like a big heat sink of temperature that goes up and creates these monster hurricanes as we know them. So this is one of those places that's kind of cool. It's very windswept. It's very African, um, very North African, I should say. Um, lots of different kinds of people, very cool, um, laid back. They don't get a lot of visitors, uh, which makes it kind of neat. Um, but it was a good experience, and I thought, okay, this is great. But one of the problems I, I had when I was there was they, potable water is really expensive. It's hard to find. And they have it on the dock, but I did, I'd never trusted that kind of dock water in that kind of country. You know, it probably, the water came from, they said it came from the municipal system, but, you know, who knows? Um, if you have any doubts about that kind of fresh water in a potable situation, take a, um, a half or take a teaspoon, just a teaspoon of chlorine of Clorox bleach, just, just a teaspoon. Okay. And put it in your tank and you're going to go like, Oh my God, that's not enough. Well, trust me, it, it will be enough to kill any, any bacteria that you have in your tank once it gets all in there and mixed up and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Um, it may not get all of it, but it, it will do. Um, and you won't get the taste of chlorine um, out of your water. Um, I had uh, a friend of mine make a mistake, and he came over and he was, he was crying because he had literally um, put a, a half a cup of Clorox in his water tank um, he had a Beneteau, uh, 53 first, and, um, I don't know how many, I don't remember how many gallons of water, maybe six, 800 gallons of water. And, um, he, he had the taste of Clorox, um, in his water tank and his water for almost in three months. It was all he did was flush it out, flush it out, flush it out. It took a long time to get it out of there. But in any case, moving on, that's something, it's just a little trick to keep your water fresh. Um, so we made it across. We had one of the most beautiful sails I've ever done in my life. Um, we had a, a solid 20, 25 knot breeze and we were just, we were just jibing back and forth. We're doing like 60 degrees port, you know, every watch, just moving it back and forth, just running on an angle to the wind so that it wasn't straight downwind because my boat just didn't do well straight downwind. But if I was just off a little bit, it kept up, it kept the 150 full. Um, it kept the main planted where it was supposed to be. Um, it kept the mizzen plant it where it was supposed to be and we kept this just this nice we had this nice angle on the boat and 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 roll over the waves as we kind of kept going and going and going anyway we were just flying i mean it was like 
we would all get nervous and upset like we were below nine knots. What's happening, you know? But we had a great trip. It was a fantastic trip. And then we came into Antigua. Now, for those of you who have not been to Antigua, there's really two harbors down on that side of the island, which is English Harbor, which is where all the boats go, and Falmouth Harbor, which is also, it's kind of an isthmus in there, so it's one side and another side. So Falmouth Harbor is where I was going to go because um, I was going to go to the Yacht Club to to get water provisions, etc., 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 and the boat show in um, Antigua. The Antigua um, Charter Boat Show is a very important show for me. Meet the, see the brokers, here's the boat, everything's shiny, have a good time, and then they book your boat for the season, you know, or whatever the case may be, and, and it's just a part of doing the business. So we came into Falmouth Harbor, and, you know, if, if you remember, if any of you had listened to um, uh, my podcast, Don't Yell at Me, you'll know that uh, coming into Falmouth Harbor, a very famous skipper uh, ran a very famous boat aground, you know, off to the port side, coming into Falmouth Harbor. Um, thank goodness it wasn't on the starboard side, because the starboard side is some serious, serious reef but you know it's 2 two thirty in the morning we came in put the sick got all the sails down motoring long and i decide okay we're out of the main channel there isn't really a main channel but it's just it's not nothing marked but just kind of moved over to the side because i knew where boats would go and and drop the hook it's a nice sandy patch and said okay the guys were excited. Uh, we all had beers. Yay, we made the trip. Um, and then after you do a long passage, you know, there's a lot of noise. And there's this, this amazing quiet that comes after you drop your hook. Okay? And all I could hear when I dropped the hook in this perfect quiet, no wind, no water rushing around the hull, you no know, engine, no nothing... All I could hear is my water pump going. Mm-hmm. The guys kept telling me, "No, no, no, we we didn't we didn't use the water. We used our gallons of water." And as it turns out, I turned the water pump off, and I was my tank was tanks were empty, and somehow I don't know where it went, but somehow it it went. And so I was empty of water, but I wasn't going to deal with it that night. I was tired, exhausted, to say the least. And the guys were all anxious to get on shore and start, you know, going around and and um, uh, doing their thing, trying to get jobs uh, as crew on other charter boats, you know, making all the applications and things like that. So on 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 my boat. Um, because it was a little bit older Taiwan built um, boat, the polybutylene um, uh, plastic piping. Okay, now this is the gray. You you'll recognize it. It's the gray pipe, right? It's very distinctive. And what happens with this gray pipe or PB is that the fittings often crack 
why I have no idea. But anyway, they often crack. And it's a fairly flexible thing. But I had kind of a mix. I had an owner previous to me buying the boat that had replaced some of the copper piping. Now, copper's good, okay? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a natural biocide, so it will, won't let shit grow in your water. Um, it's also uh, fairly easy to deal with. The one kind of drawback is, is um, uh, corrosion. Um, the, not so much the copper per se, but the um, uh, solder that goes into it. Um, that can sometimes get corroded and you can get some degradation and, um, you'll, you'll crack some leaks and stuff like that. And, and that happens with, with copper and, and, and usually it happens, um, for boats that spend a lot of time in marinas because the marina is just like hot zone for, uh, corrosion. I mean, you know, you could you could suck up your zincs. I know a lot of you who have boats in marinas and stuff are always having your, your divers always changing your zincs out, like every you know three to six months because they just there's so much electricity in the water. Um, it's just it just eats shit up all the time. So this is, you know, I I realized what this was. I found the I found the leak. Um, actually it was behind a wall in a shower and, um, I did that through visual inspection and for the fact that the wall behind the shower down into the bilge, cause everything runs down into the bilge and here's your liquid management, the fresh water leaks, it goes into the bilge, it hits your bilge pump, your bilge pump puts it outside and you kind of don't even see it. It's just done. I have... Two very powerful bilge pumps, and this is another liquid management concept, is that you want to have bilge pumps that got some horsepower. Never go short on bilge pumps. Buy something bigger than you need, okay? Because the day that something goes sideways on you, you'll want that bilge pump to be huge and to be working for you. And another thing I did through suggestion, and this is just a little aside on the liquid management concept, is another thing that I learned was to take a um, washing machine float switch and install that, and that's that will be your bilge pump, and that will be for your pump, because the float switch on a washing machine is super, super durable. And you can get all kinds of crap in there, and it'll still work. And um, I did that, and I used to run my main pump off of a Kenmore washing machine uh, float pump. Kind of cool. But anyway, that's just, just stuff about liquid management. Now, one of the things that once I got this leak fixed, I had to get water in the boat. So I was going to move the boat. And I thought to myself, yeah, I better check the engine. So I went to the engine. And this is part of the catastrophe of water management. When shit happens, it just there's not, nothing you can do about it. You just got to, you know, grin and bear it. Go for it. So I went in, pulled the dipstick out, and white water comes out and oil. Uh, my heat exchanger had broken. And now... 
I had a Ford Lehman six-cylinder full of salt water. I knew it was my heat exchanger. It was about 80% true, or 80% uh, convinced it was the the, the uh, heat exchanger. So um, I pulled. I had to pull the heat exchanger off. I had to change the oil, um, which was going to be a big thing. I didn't turn the engine over at all. I wanted to... You don't want water in the pistons, especially with a diesel engine, because the water will do more damage than anything else. It'll vaporize and it'll destroy, it'll break your pistons because it can't be compressed. The water cannot be compressed. And that, that's what blows your engine up. So I had to very carefully... Um, changed the oil I changed it like five times and I hand cranked the engine and um, I opened up the heads so that the pistons could go up and down I cleaned everything the best way I could finally felt comfortable enough to run the engine without a heat exchanger by the way I was only going to turn it over for a little bit got it to turn over a couple of times changed the oil turn it over a couple of times, change the oil. So liquid management is, is I have all this oil and I have all this used oil. And it's going into five-gallon drums. And it's got to be disposed of properly. Luckily in Falmouth Harbor, they have a little place that you can go to and you can pour all your oil and put that in there. And it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, they do almost in any kind of marina today, especially in America and all over the world. There is places to dispose of your oil. Do not dispose of your oil by throwing it down a drain or anything else like that, please. Um, there's enough pollution in the world without stupidness adding to it. So I had this heat exchanger, and to give a brief explanation is... Um, a heat exchanger for uh, a diesel engine works where there's fresh water in the diesel engine and coolant, right? Just like you would have with a car. There's coolant. And that coolant is um, circulated throughout the engine, taking the heat with it, okay? And it runs through a heat exchanger. Now, this is a heat exchanger in lieu of having like the fan on your car engine. Okay, you have a fan in your car engine, which blows air across the engine itself. The, air, the car is moving as it gets hotter, and the engine temperature is regulated by the flow of um, air around the engine. In a boat, you don't have that because it's in a compartment, so you have to have the fluid, which keeps the engine cool, cooled. So you have salt water coming up, out of a valve going into the heat exchanger and in the heat exchanger it's a whole series of tubes copper tubes that the fresh seawater which is cooler than the engine water goes in and the engine water is going through this maze of tubes and is being cooled by the uh, salt water and then the salt water is exited out with the exhaust. There's also another kind of heat exchanger, which is a heat exchanger that is for hot water. And it's usually a smaller heat exchanger 
sometimes like on the back. And there's also a heat exchanger for your transmission. Um, although they've kind of gotten away from that today um, because a transmission uh, can get warm, but it's really not necessary to, to recirculate the uh, uh, transmission fluid itself. Um, it's very stable at whatever temperature it can be. It, it, it is today. Um, it, old time, it used to have a transmission cooler on a boat. Sometimes you'll see a transmission cooler on uh, bigger power boats. Um, but still, it's the same principle as the heat, ex the heat exchanger I just described. So you have this heat exchanger and you have the hot water heat exchanger, which is where fresh water from your hot water tank goes through a series of tubes, okay? And it is also cooled by, quote unquote, seawater that has come up and been pumped through the engine and goes through. And just as a kind of a quick aside, the, the impeller on the front of an engine, okay, um, is just, it churns, it pumps the salt water um, into the engine, into the heat exchanger, the heat exchanger exchanges heat. It goes out the exhaust. But sometimes in a dual portion, it will go into the hot water heater, which has got fresh water going through it, and it goes to your hot water heater. Now, in boats, they have a little small hot water heaters for the most part. I got another trick for you a little bit later. We'll talk about that. And, and so these hot water heaters... Um, the engine could do that. So one time I was going into Spain. Um, I was going into Malaga in Spain. And I was inside the marina and my engine overheated. Like what just like almost blew up kind of overheated. And um, what happened was the impeller, um, one of the wings to the impeller, I don't know if that's wings is the right descriptive word, but one of the little paddles, the rubber paddles, had broken off and blocked the f salt water from getting into the engine. And it screwed up the impeller terribly. And it wouldn't go through the engine. So no water could get through. The fresh water was just cooking on its own. So I, I didn't have far to go. And I just needed to reduce the engine temperature enough because it, there was an automatic shutoff if it got too hot. It would just shut off. So here I am floating in the harbor with no engine. I didn't, no, I had taken the sails down. There was no, really, there was no place to sail. Um, the boat's too big to take out a paddle and try to paddle it. And um, I guess I one of my options was is I could have just put my dinghy in the water and set it up and then towed the boat um, to the dock. But I came up with this quick idea, which was to turn all the spigots on. I had 900 gallons of fresh water, which was cool. So I turned all the spigots on, the hot water spigots on, and allow the hot water, the fresh water, to go through the heat exchanger, okay? And that would that cooled it off a little bit and it cooled it off just enough for the alarm to go off and for me to get to the dock i mean we're we're only talking about maybe 100 feet but it seemed to be a fairly clever idea i don't know if it's a real idea but it worked
So that's part of your liquid management. And then, of course, I still in Antigua's story, I have to do something with the heat exchanger. So I, 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 I had this heat exchanger, and if anybody has ever had to order parts in a foreign country that doesn't have a lot of parts, um, you'll appreciate this. Because this is when liquid management really comes in. There's an expediter. In a lot of ports, there are expediters. And expediters are the ones who handle your, your shipment. They will actually um, buy it for you. You pay them. They put a surcharge on top of that. And then they charge you for getting it in and out of the country. I said, okay. Let's take a look at that. How much is this to get this heat exchanger? And I had the I knew what I wanted to buy and I knew where it was. And they're going to charge me 500 extra dollars. And I was like, there's no freaking way I'm paying 500 bucks for you guys to expedite this. I'll just go stand in line. I know what it takes to get a part through customs. I'll go do it myself. So I called up the heat exchanger company. And they were in Boston. And I talked to this guy in Boston and say, hey, look, I'm in trouble. I need a new heat exchanger. He was so nice. He said, oh, man, you're cruising. Yeah, we make these things. Da, 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 da. He says, yeah, I'm a sailor too. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, I'll give you the best deal. So he sent me this heat exchanger, which was 200 and some odd, $56 or something like this for the heat exchanger back in the day. He sent it to me for $75 plus free shipping. Exact same heat exchanger. It was ridiculously cheap. I thanked him, of course. I sent him a nice note eventually. But anyway, so he he air freights this to Antigua. Now, I get news that I, I've got this heat exchanger has arrived. Pretty sure it has arrived. And they call me. They say, yeah, your heat exchanger is here in customs. You have to come by and get it. Well, this is where the expediter comes in. Well, it so happens I was sitting in a bar, liquid management, I might add, having a drink, thinking that, okay, I had to deal with my fresh water. Still don't have fresh water in the boat. I can't move the boat because the engine is doesn't have a heat exchanger, and I can't take the chance of driving the engine. And especially after I had turned it over so many times, um, the batteries were getting a little bit low. And at this time, I didn't have a generator on the boat during this period. Um, I had taken the old generator out and had not replaced it with a new one yet. And, um, you know, everything's on a budget, dude. Everything's on a budget. Even your liquid management's on a budget. So I was sitting at the bar having a drink and here comes the expediter guy and he's telling me you're never going to get that heat exchanger you're not going to do this you're not going to do that you're going to have to pay me that money if you want that heat exchanger blah 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 i said okay yeah right okay so i'll i said you know what i'm going to give it a try and if i if i pull it off i pull it off if i don't i'll be back so i just the next morning i got in one of the little cabs and the cab driver was really cool. I said, I got to go to the customs part of the airport. He says, oh, I know where that is. I, he says, yeah, I know. I said, but look, dude, here's what we're doing. I said, I got to go in and get a part um, in customs. And then 
I need a ride back from the airport. He says, oh, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, you know, we'll wait. And I, we've kind of fixed the price and all the rest of this guy. The guy was really cool. So we go to the Antigua airport and the customs place is a warehouse um, uh, on the other side of the airport from where the terminal is. So we pull up, we pull up to, to the customs thing and, and there's this long line of people standing in line in the inside the warehouse and at the end of the warehouse there's a big long table and there's a couple of guys there customs officials and they got paperwork everywhere you know it's the one thing you could say about the british empire is that um, they taught everybody how to do paperwork and it was a lot of paperwork and and so I'm, i'm standing in line i've got my i got a receipt that says that they have this this thing so i go up to the guy and i you know i say hello i identify myself i give him my passport i showed him my stuff he goes he digs up the paperwork and he says okay this is great then he gets up and he says let's go find us so we go back into the warehouse and there's all these boxes on pallets and all the rest of this kind of stuff and i spot i said oh here's my heat exchanger and we look at it and he says well you have to open it and i opened it up because we're going to make sure there's no drugs in there i said oh no it's just a heat exchanger dude and you know we all look like that and he says okay he hands me the paperwork okay and i'm holding the heat exchanger it's a fairly big warehouse and the next thing i know this guy comes out of nowhere who was his boss and starts yelling at him like, what the hell are you doing? We we got too many stuff here. Just get, don't you don't need to come over. Da, 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 da. He's giving this guy such a hard time. So the guy tells me, he says, well, go get in line and then I'll we'll do all the stamps. I said, okay. So the line is really long. It's almost out the door. So I walk, <laughs> I walk to the end of the line. I have to stay in the end of the line. Now the procedure is you pick it up. You go stand in line. You work the line again. He comes. He sees it. Everything's okay. Stamp, 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 stamp. Then you have to go to the police station in town and get stamp, 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 and then you can have your piece, right? But I already got the piece in my hand because he handed it to me. He did it kind of absently, actually. So I'm standing at the end of the line with the heat exchanger and all the paperwork that identifies me and this piece. I mean, their paperwork. He shouldn't have given that to me, but he was so flustered by his boss, he did. I just turned around and walked straight out of the hangar, in the warehouse hangar. And the cabbie was standing there, and I said to him, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Fast! So we jump, <laughs> I jump in the cab with the heat exchanger, we take off, we come back, and and we were laughing the whole way. He says, oh, yeah, that's the island way, man. You're doing good. No problem. That's the island way. Yeah, the hell with them. This, that, another thing. And we're going on and on and on, having just, just a great, great laugh. So uh, I didn't have to pay any duties. <laughs> I had all the paperwork there. I paid him. I think I paid the guy 100 bucks for this whole trip, which was great, you know, way more than I should have paid him. But I was so happy I got this damn heat exchanger. And as I was carrying the heat exchanger over to my dinghy to get in, there was the expediter guy standing in front of his office, which was right there. 
And I said, hey, yeah, I got it. He says, no fucking way. There's no way you got that. What'd you do? Did you steal? And then he's going on. He's going off. I said, no, dude, I got it. No worries. Thanks. Appreciate your effort. And I, I, I actually later used the guy for another project. Um, but that was that's another story. So anyway, I got my dinghy. I got back. I installed my brand new heat exchanger. I had changed the oil a bunch of times. I ran the engine. I ran it uh, for like an hour to get it nice and warm. It was running just perfect. Um, then I changed the oil. The oil was actually very clean, um, very oil. And um, I just redid it. And that was the end of having to deal with that aspect of liquid management. Now you have a couple of different things here and I talked about gray water and gray water is just that, you know, water from the sink, you know, it's dirty water with foodstuffs in it. Um, maybe shaving water, you know, from a bathroom, um, your sinks will have that, um, black water. Okay. We usually refer to those as black water tanks and a black water tank is where all the poop goes. And a lot of times in the Caribbean, because you're always anchored on the leeward side of an island, um, you can go directly into the sea and it just it disappears. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, people have tightened a lot of regulations and stuff like that. And, you know, got to go out so many miles in order to dump your tanks and that sort of thing. I had a blackwater tank on my boat along with a separate pump that operated the, it had an actuator actually that um, all the black to toilet water, the black water um, would go into this tank and then um, I could use a pump to pump it over, over the side when I was far enough out. Um, another way to do it was you could go to the dock and you could put the old sucker in there and the sucker would suck all the stuff out of the tank. I know that the Coast Guard had been on my boat um, because I was really basically a kind of a Caribbean boat. Um, I didn't have all the modern uh, hookups. So I built this little what I call my nuclear reactor tubing pipes and all the rest of that kind of stuff and a very small tank that I never used, and I cut the handle off the top of the valve that says in and out, and I wanted to, it to go out, but I wanted the handle to read in so that if they ever came to look at it, um, they'd see that, that I was actually legit doing it. Um, only unfortunate thing is is the if they flush the toilet, it would go straight out. Now, toilets and the liquid management thing happen to be a very sore subject with me because I've had all sorts of events with toilets, usually being clogged, usually having to take a hose off. And as I say, uh, I tried to get into Antigua like November 30th. November 30th is my birthday. And it always seemed like somewhere around my birthday time or during the boat show or whatever the case may be, that one of my toilets would get clogged. And I had spent hours and hours and hours pulling pipes, cleaning pipes, getting them all clean, 
you know, so that the perfect flow of shit would go out. Okay. And my black water tank, I just tried never to put anything in that damn thing because it did have a vent on it and you could smell it. And you just didn't want to be sitting there like eating dinner and just get a whiff of that damn tank. So I used to try never to use it. It was an empty tank. It was uh, 25 gallons, which is very small. And it was just there for the whole Coast Guard thing. Otherwise, poop went out the door. Now, I've driven other boats that had like serious water tanks and black water tanks with their own pumping systems and toilet actuators so that when you push a button for your toilet, the actuator would kick on two pumps, one uh, a water pump, a salt water pump, or, and or a fresh water pump that would uh, pump fresh water into the toilet, just as you would normally flush with flesh, fresh water. And the other pump would be an actuator pump to move the poop or pee or whatever the case may be into the black water tanks by pressurizing, you know, pumping that area, especially with a big, big yacht. Um, you have a lot of actuator pumps and they're all over the boat. This is a very complex system. Um, one little funny thing is, is I supervised building a boat in Italy, uh, a San Lorenzo, uh, 120, um, beautiful little boat. And, um, the owner called up on the intercom to me and said that uh, her shower wasn't draining. It was full of water. And um, ooh, I said, okay, let me, let me deal with this. Brand new boat. First time she'd ever taken a shower in the boat. And um, we had cleaned the shower, but I guess what happened was there was a, a little holding tank. And in this holding tank, um, there is a pump. And the pump would, you know, just like a bilge pump. And it would pump out the gray water into another gray water tank. And that gray water tank would pump it over the side. But what happened is when the guys put this tank in, which was kind of, a, it was a stainless steel tank. When they had put it in, um, they had these uh, plugs that would go into, that screwed into the tank just to thread it uh, nipples that would screw, screw in. And then the hose would fit on top of that. Okay. Well, you're supposed to take out the threaded uh, nipple and then you put the hose in there and then you tie it off. Okay. You tighten it up and that's the way it's supposed to work. But the guys, I guess had forgotten to take out the, the, the nipples. And so what happened is the tank filled up and had nowhere to go. And the pump was pumping all for its worth and it wasn't going anywhere because there was a threaded nipple in the way. And I'm talking threaded nipple on a, like a, a three-quarter inch threaded nipple. And, and, and so we've, I finally figured that out um, after tracing the line for some time and, um, you know, tearing up the floor. I knew where everything was because I built the damn boat, so I knew pretty much where everything was. And um, I just, that was just one oversight just a little liquid management moment in my life. Another place you have liquid management moments are with air conditioning. You know, it used to be that 
that air conditioning, probably not so much on sailboats, but you know, on bigger boats and power boats, you have air conditioning. Um, you'll get uh, air bubbles in your air conditioning line. And one of the old ways to look at it is, is if you have air conditioning in your pilot house, which is usually at the highest point in the boat, there'll be a valve somewhere upstairs underneath the dash or maybe on top of the dash that that valve will be for your air conditioning to allow the air out because they always put a valve on the air conditioning units um, at the highest point in the boat and so that you can get and bleed the air out of it just a little management concept so we have your fresh water potable water we have your gray water, which just basically your gray water is going straight out a hose, out the sink, out the hose, out the side of the boat. And then we have your black water, which is a little bit more complicated, and we can probably get into a little bit more of this. Um, one of the things uh, that you have was your air conditioning, of course, and um, you have air conditioning condensers and... Um, also refrigeration, uh, some of that stuff, basically it's just as easy to have it drop into the bilge and have your bilge pump working. So you have your bilge pump, you've got a really great float switch by using like your Maytag washing machine and you've got your roll pumps stuck here, stuck there. You've got actuators, um, you have a water pump. Um, that's pumping your fresh water. So when you turn it on, the pump goes on. I got rid of my, my four part diaphragm pump, um, uh, which is a very nice little pump, but very kind of, um, antique, um, a bit of a pain in the ass to maintain with its little belt and, um, all the rest of that kind of stuff. So, I just went for the, um, you know, the regular, the brand new water pumps where it would just go. Bzzz. And of course you have to have your, your actuator tank, which is a pressurized tank. You know, it, you can pressurize between 10 and 20 PSI. Um, sometimes they have gauges on them. Um, sometimes you can just use, if you lose the pressure, you can pump it up with a bicycle pump. So that's that's your freshwater system and your black water system, your gray water system, your exhaust system. Now, another thing on the exhaust system, I'll bounce back to that because I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit today. But on your exhaust uh, system, okay, and your muffler system, all right, it's really important to keep an eye on that stuff because there's I have worked in a number of boats and and. I had run vessel system Marina Del Rey for about five years. And most of the time, um, there's two reasons boats sank at the dock. The first was they were connected directly into dock water, fresh water, and some kind of hose or clamp broke, always double clamp, thank you, um, going opposite directions. And a hose broke and it just filled up with fresh water and sank. The other way is that the exhaust hose, which for a powerboat and some sailboats will 
The exhaust will be just uh, right at the water line, so there's a little bit of water going in and out, um, especially with power boats with two big exhaust um, ports on the uh, um, uh, port and starboard sides. Um, the water just pours in. And if the boat's got a little weight and it's sitting a little low in the water, once it gets started, it'll keep going. It'll go all the way down. I've probably gotten, in my time in doing that, no, four or five, year, five years, I've probably got 10 boats sunk because of those two reasons. So this is another way to look at your management, your liquid management, and consider the whole thing. But I want to finish up today with the one thing that I think is important for all the sailors. And that's the liquid management of what we imbibe. There's a couple of quick advice things. I love drinking. I love a glass of wine. I have traveled all over the world and had wine. I'm, I won't call myself a connoisseur, but... I have had plenty of different kinds of wines. I know a lot about wines. I've done the Vendage in, in Bordeaux. I, in fact, I will do a show um, about uh, Bechevel, a very famous um, vineyard and wine place that's got a, a particularly interesting um, uh, relationship to sailing. And this... I know a lot about this, and I, I, you know, I grew up with uh, a family that had cocktail hour, you know, every day, and um, you know, basically, my dad, I guess, was an alcoholic, but I don't say that in kind of a negative way. He was just a grouchy human being, and you know, mom had her cocktails, you know, cocktails and cigarettes, like Mad Men, right? That was a Mad Men thing, and that's that's the environment that I grew up in. So I like to drink. Um, I don't drink very much um, anymore. I do have wine for dinner occasionally. Um, but I'm not here to prophesize on anyone, their wine thing or drinking or whatever the case may be. But here's a few. Here's one really important thing. If you sail and you're from a cooler climate and you go down into a tropical climate, you will find that you're going to be really thirsty because you're always perspiring. Whether you see it or not, you are perspiring. So you kind of get thirsty. And water doesn't seem to be the ticket. But it should be. And the reason I say that is, is because when I first, very, very first went to the Caribbean, and I found myself, you know, I'm working out in the sun and all the rest. I found myself 10 o'clock in the morning having a beer because I just needed to quench my thirst. And I just started to drink beer. And next thing you know, by 2 o'clock, I'm kind of looped. But not really because I'm sweating it out so fast. And then, you know, you get to happy hour in Caribbean. Happy hours are notorious. And, you know, same with the South Pacific. Happy hour in a bar, you know, right. Okay. Drinks half price. Chicken legs, whatever. Chicken wings. 
eating all kinds of stuff and drinking. Well, it's just, it's not, it, it, it'll hurt your body. And I have, and I give you this as just a point of advice. I have seen more people, and I would say my, the numbers are probably over 40 years of sailing and being in these environments, I've probably seen about 30, 30 guys get depressed, lock themselves in a boat, and find out later that they've just drunk themselves to death. I've seen guys age within three months of coming into the Caribbean because they just lose all sense of discipline and just drink, 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 drink. And alcohol does take its toll. And especially in an environment where it's hot, it's very sunny, um, you know, your skin gets leathery. can do it in a heartbeat. I knew a couple of guys that actually hung themselves through depression. Right there in Charlotte Amalie. Right there at the Contiki or whatever the name of that place was. Right next to the old Ramada. So I always try to explain to people to be cautious, to allow your body to adapt to a new environment. I found that I probably took in too much sugar, um, which was kind of getting to me, but I used to drink all the time. I mean, I would drink a bottle of wine up until about six, seven years ago, I drank a bottle of wine every day. It didn't help me. But being on a boat, booze cruises, partying, feeling good, all the rest of that kind of stuff, just remember your liquid management. What goes in has to go out. What is out there has to stay out there. What is inside's got to stay inside sometimes. Where you deposit it, well, got to be careful and follow the regulations. And you got to be good. And take care of yourself out there because nobody else is going to take care of you. So that's my, my little point on that imbibing liquid management and all the rest. Thank you. Great story, Scott. Uh, what do we have in store for next week's episode? Well, next week, we th I thought we w I would do a couple of stories that um, are a little bit closer to the West Coast sailors. We have an awful lot of West Coast sailors that do follow us. And I'm going to talk about a couple of doomed trips that I have taken um, along the Baja Coast in Mexico on my way to Cabo and uh, Puerto Vallarta. And um, it, should, it should be interesting. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to rate and review. You can find us on Facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org. You can also listen to past episodes at offshore-explorer.simplecast.com. Our theme song is sung by Paulette McWilliams, with additional music by Amanu Itomi and Tommy Twain. Until next time, fair winds and calm seas. <laughs>